and pressing their wrists to their foreheads, flapping them maniacally while chanting their war cries. They feared no retribution for behaving like this in front of me, his only son. I was small then and weak. They were not afraid of me. They pulled faces behind his back and spat on the ground in imitation of his habits. And when he turned to cry out like a wounded animal, they would scatter like grain seeds tossed across a field, disappearing into the landscape just as easily. They laughed at him. They thought him terrifying, monstrous, and abhorrent all at once. Unlike them, I was afraid of my father, for he was liberal with his fists and unrepentant of his violence. I have no reason to imagine it so, but I picture him returning home some evening shortly after I made my escape from the railway carriage in Piskov on that cold March morning and being set upon by Bolsheviks in retaliation for what I had done. I see myself rushing across the tracks and disappearing into the forest beyond in fear of my life while he shuffles along the road for home, coughing, hacking, and spitting, unaware that his own is in mortal danger. In my arrogance, I imagined that my disappearance brought great shame upon my family and our small hamlet, a dishonor that demanded retribution. I picture a crowd of young men from the village. In my dream there are four of them, they are big and ugly and brutal, bearing down upon him with cudgels, dragging him from the street toward the darkness of a high-walled lane in order to murder him without witness. I do not hear him crying out for mercy. That would not have been his way. I see blood on the stones where he lies. I glimpse a hand moving slowly, trembling, the fingers in spasm, and then lying still. When I think of my mother, Yulia Vladimirovna, I imagine her being called home to God in her own bed a few years later, hungry, exhausted, with my sisters keening by her side. I cannot imagine what hardships she must have faced after my father's death, and I do not like to think of it, for despite the fact that she was a cold woman and betrayed her disappointment in me at every juncture of my childhood, she was my mother nevertheless, and such a person as holy. I picture my eldest sister, Asya, placing a small portrait of me in her hands as she clasps them together for the final time in prayer, preparing in solemn penitence to meet her Maker. The shroud is gathered to her thin neck, her face is white, her lips a pale shade of periwinkle blue. Asya loved me, but envied my escape, I remember that too. She came to find me once and I turned her away. It shames me now to think of this. None of this may have happened, of course. The lives of my mother, my father, and my sisters may have ended differently, happily, tragically, together, apart, in peace, in violence. There is no way for me to know. There was never a moment when I could have returned. Never a chance that I could have written to Asya or Liska, or even Talia, who might not have remembered her older brother Georgi, her family's hero and shame. To return to them would have put them in danger, put me in danger, put Zoya in danger. 
But no matter how many years have passed, I think of them still. There are great stretches of my life that are a mystery to me. Decades of work and family, struggle, betrayal, loss, and disappointment that have blended together and are almost impossible to separate. But moments from those years, those early years, linger and resonate in my memory. And if they remain as shadows along the dark corridors of my aging mind, then they are all the more vivid and remarkable for the fact that they can never be forgotten, even if soon I shall be. It has been more than sixty years since I last laid eyes on any member of my blood family. It's almost impossible to believe that I have lived to this age, eighty-two, and spent such a small proportion.